Some years ago, when I was crossing the Atlantic by boat, a steward of the ship came out and said one evening to me, Are you the one who preached the mission sermon at St. Patrick's Cathedral last November? Yes. He said, That was one of the most marvelous talks I ever heard. I enjoyed every minute of that hour and a half. I said, my good man, I never talked an hour and a half in my life. Well, he said, it seemed that long to me. <laughs> it is therefore fitting that I should talk to you about an hour, the holy hour. The hour is to be the sacramental sign of our victimhood. But let us begin with the background of spirituality. Now, many of you priests and brothers and sisters have made dozens of retreats. How many of you can recall a resolution that you took in retreat that you have kept? Not many. Do you know why? Because you attended the Health Congress and everyone spoke about the necessity of health but nobody ever gave you specific directions about being healthy. There was nothing very concrete upon which the whole retreat centered. The result was that you left the retreat inspired, or better, or maybe critical. But this is not as simple as it seems, because in the spiritual life, there are no great planes. We are either going uphill or we are going down. By the mere fact that we are the same, we are worse. Because we have life and the life is supposed to develop in us. Each and every one of us have within ourselves, in addition to the attraction to heaven, we have a contrary principle, the principle of decay, of entropy. There is a mole with which naturalists are familiar. The mole once had eyes to see, but the mole chose to grovel in the bowels of the earth. Nature, as if seated in judgment, said, take the talent away. The result is it is blind. The animal called the crustacea, which is found in some caves, seems to have a perfect eye. If you run a scalpel over it, you find that behind the seemingly perfect eye are desiccated nerves. It did not use the eye. In the story of the talents, it was the one who had the one talent who did nothing with it. We who believe that we are just ordinary are the ones most inclined to 
think that we need not make any great progress. But this principle of degeneration is in us like a poison. Suppose a person is poisoned and the nurse brings to him an antidote. I was at a communion breakfast in New York when a man got up and after someone else had been telling the stories and said, I think I ought to tell you also a few more antidotes. <laughs> Suppose one had taken poison and an antidote is brought in. It makes no difference whether he throws that antidote out of the window or just simply ignores it. The poison is operative in his system. And original sin is operative in us. And we therefore have to make some very positive changes in our lives in order to be progressive. Did you ever hear of human flies? They are men who, who climb up buildings. I heard of a human fly who started climbing up one of the New York skyscrapers. And the drunk saw it and started climbing up too. The human fly got up to the tenth floor. He looked back. The drunk was right behind him. Got up to the twentieth. The drunk was at the nineteenth. Climbed to the top of the 40th story under the roof, the dunk climbed over. With that, the human fly ran to the edge of the building, jumped off, and pulled a parachute to float down. And as he passed the 15th floor, the drunk went by him like an express train and said, Sissy! Well, the death principle was in him, which brings up the question of the two great enemies of the spiritual life. One is time, and the other is the neglect of the will. First of all, time. Time today is, is very efficient. And during our novitiates and seminaries, our spiritual, spiritual exercises were efficient. We had 10 or 15 minutes for prayer, 5 minutes for particular examination, 30 minutes for meditation, and so forth. And when we got out, we found that we could no longer fish in our time that way. As a matter of fact, time is the greatest obstacle in the world of happiness. Simply because we are in time, we cannot talk to Shakespeare and Homer. Because we are in time, we cannot march with Napoleon and Caesar. Time makes it impossible to make a club sandwich of pleasures. We cannot enjoy the, the soft, days of Ireland and the hot days of Africa simultaneously. So in order to get outside, in order to be happy, we have to get outside of time. So we can have all 
pleasures and joys simultaneously. As we say of heaven, tota simo, everything all at once. Therefore, there's no time in heaven. Hell is full of clocks. And we have found out in our lives that we just do not have time for all of these exercises. That's the first obstacle. The second is the will. How many of, have you, of you have seen a book on the training of the will in the last 10, 15 years? We used to have many books 30, 40 years ago on the will. Now the will is neglected. It is not even so much the intellect or the reason that is emphasized today, it's feeling and sensation. And yet character is in the will. Character is not in the intellect. The intellect is, is the arrow, the will. The will is that which makes character. And our wills become weak. So we no longer strive for spirituality as we have done in the past. Now, how meet these obstacles and difficulties? I am suggesting and begging a daily, continuous holy hour before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. It may not include the Mass for priests. I can conceive of it including the Mass for sisters and for brothers. It should not include the Mass for priests. It can include anything and everything else. We will give more details later on. Why the Holy Hour? First of all, the Vatican Council, in every single decree, said that the Eucharist was the center of the spiritual life, the dogmatic life, or the liturgical life of the Church. I can remember I was on a commission for missions in the Vatican Council. And it was suggested that we introduce some words into the mission decree on the Eucharist as the center of spiritual life and the missions. And some bishops said, we have it in every other decree. So we concluded, well, we have to have it too. It's just as important for the missions as anywhere else. You will find that there was a falling away of the disciples very often when the Eucharist was mentioned. First of all, in the sixth chapter of John, when our Lord announced the Eucharist, some left. Then when our blessed Lord appeared to the apostles during the storm, they thought he was a specter. And the gospel tells us because they did not understand the miracle of the bread. And thirdly, the disciples of Emmaus only recognized the Lord at the breaking of the bread. But why the hour? Here I'm going to take it out of the domain of devotions. 
give you the biblical reason. Our blessed Lord made only one request from his disciples, directly. Can you not watch one hour with me? Why the hour? Because in sacred scripture, evil is always associated with the hour. Seven times the hour is mentioned in John, and always in connection with evil. God has his day. Evil has his hour. When therefore there were attempts to stone our blessed Lord, Scripture said his hour was not yet come. That hour when evil could touch him. The night of the Last Supper, when Judas left to begin the betrayal, our blessed Lord said, Father, glorify thy son, the hour has come. The hour when he would meet evil and conquer it. And when Judas came to him in the garden, our blessed Lord said, This is your hour. Your hour. And all you can do with it is turn out the light of the world. And evil is more rampant in the world than you know. And in particular, relationship to the Eucharist. I will not mention it because it's too good, too holy to mention it. But I want to tell you that our blessed Lord asked for the hour in order to make up for evil. What does the hour do for us? It gives us the three intimacies of love. The first intimacy of love is speech. We would never know that anyone loved us unless he told us so. Speech is the summation of a soul. All that it has been, all that it is, and all that it will ever be. You hear someone speak, and you say, he is a learned man, or he is an ignorant man. So hearing is the first intimacy of speech, of love. And when we come to make the holy hour, we hear. We do too much. We're like sick people who go to a doctor and begin rattling off all of the symptoms. Oh, doctor, I got a pain back here. Oh, doctor, my heart is bad. Oh, doctor, I have an upset stomach. And then we go out of the doctor's office. Can we listen? Holy hours to hear. The second intimacy of love is vision. We not only want to hear words of love, we want to see them born on human lips. We like to see the flash of an eye. 
the earnestness of a visage. That is why there had to be a New Testament after the Old Testament, why television followed radio, and why the Incarnation followed the prophecies of the Old Testament. And in the Eucharist we see See with the eyes of faith. And for all those who believe and who have turned theology into sociology, which is the modern move, and who believe that the only apostolate in the church, the only apostolate, is the apostolate to the inner city or to the drug addicts and the like. For all of those who believe that, be assured that they will never see Christ in any of those people until they have trained their eyes to tear away the species and the appearances of that bread in order to discover the Eucharistic Lord. And when we have come an hour a day before the Lord and remove that veil, then we are prepared when we see mankind to tear away the veil of names and of tags and of labels and begin to see Christ or God in every single human being that lives and see increased responsibility. That's why the priest and the Levite passed by the wounded man because they looked at him. They would have been responsible. They put liturgy as the primate of all spirituality and forgot that they're not only priests, holy in liturgical service, but they're also victims made to see and understand the suffering of wrecked and wounded mankind on the highway of life. The third intimacy of love is touch. This is reserved only for the few. Touches communion. Here I am not speaking of touches of affection. Not that. Our American universities for the last few years have been flooded with what is called sensitivity training. And I was talking in one of the large secular universities of the United States and I answered questions at the end and One young man stood up and said, we're learning to love neighbor. And boys and girls sit around in a circle. We hold one another's hands and we get to know and understand that one another that way. And I said, listen, you call this sensitivity training. You're only looking for a thrill. If you want real sensitivity training, go out and hold the hand of a leper. The wrinkled hand of some old woman. The wounded hand of someone in the hospital. This is the touch that gives you communion. And believe me, we never begin to love and understand humanity until we touch. This concludes side one of this cassette. Please fast forward to the end of this side. Our program continues on side two.
was visiting a leper colony in Beluga. I brought with me 500 silver crucifixes, about an inch and a half long. I intended to give a silver crucifix to each leper. First leper came out to see me, had his left arm eaten away by leprosy, and he held up the stump of it, and around it was a rosary. He held out his right hand, the most foul, fetid, noisome mass of corruption I ever saw. And I held the crucifix above it, and I dropped it. And it was swallowed up in that volcano of leprosy. All of a sudden, there were not 500, but 501 lepers in that camp. And I was the 501st. For I took in that symbol of God's identification with man and refused to identify myself with someone that was a thousand times better on the inside than I was. Then there came over me the awful thing that I had done. And I dug my fingers into his leprosy and pulled out the crucifix and then pressed it to his hand. And so on for the other 500 lepers. And from that day on, I've loved them. And in the Eucharist, we priests touch the Lord. Your sisters and brothers touch the Lord in Holy Communion. This is the intimacy of love, and all these three intimacies are developed in an eminent degree during the Holy Hour. That brings us to the question, why they are? Well, I've already told you why from a basic point of view. Because we are confronted with evil, and that will be the subject of the conference at three o'clock. The demonic. But an additional reason for it today is the fact that the world is so much with us. The media of communication. Rapidity of travel and communications. Groupings. It's so hard to be alone. And we just cannot come in for ten minutes or more and think that we have communion with the Lord in a really satisfying way. We could not have it with friends. We bring with us the dust and the pollution of the world. It takes almost 15 or 20 minutes to shake it off. And prayer is just exactly like the walk, the seven-mile walk of our Lord with his disciples on the way to Emmaus. Notice the steps. First, they meet a stranger. Secondly, notice how often in that Gospel of Luke, the word talking, discussing, 
newspapers, perhaps. Yet there was radio in those days and happenings. They were talking about the world. Have you heard the heard the latest news in the New York Times? So they said to the stranger, Are you the only one in Jerusalem that hasn't heard the latest news? They're all absorbed in themselves and in events. The world possesses them. Then the next step. Our Lord speaks to them about Moses and the prophets. Scripture. Prayer is scripture. That's the way you make your holy hour. What a beautiful description that must have been. As our Lord went back through David and the prophets and Moses and unfolded all of the types and symbols and prophecies and then came up to what idea? Victimhood. Did you not know that the Son of Man must suffer in order to enter into his glory? Now they're anxious to be with him. They recognize him eucharistically. The breaking of the bread. And they say, stay with us. Stay with us, Lord. The day is far spent. And in the holy hour we come in with the world. Our worries, our problems, our frustrations, the news, the events, the happenings. We come in and we have a stranger before us in the tabernacle. That's all. Then we open our scriptures. Then we begin to understand how we are not only offerers, but offered. And that we are to be the continuing victims of Christ. And then at the end of the hour, we are reluctant to leave. So very often. Stay with us, Lord, as he bids us to stay with him. That is why we have to have today prolonged prayer. We cannot develop the spiritual life in patches of prayer. And the hour is biblical. And there's no such thing as 15 minutes adoration, 15 petition, 15 something else. We don't have conversations that way. Why have conversations with the Lord that way? So I beg you, as a fruit of this retreat, and this is the reason I give the retreat, this retreat is good or it is no good in relationship to this holy hour. Now you can work out the details, for example, the hours can be included. I think it is better to make it personally, individually, not corporately. 
now and then the corporate holy hour. It may be a little bit difficult at first. Dr. Paul Tournier, who is probably the greatest Christian psychiatrist in the world, said that as another psychiatrist, a friend of his, recommended that he spend an hour a day in meditation before he began his work. And he said he got up early each morning for about two weeks. He felt rather stupid. And then he said after that time, he began to have communion with the Lord. And now he does it every day. General MacArthur told me I could never fight a battle or prepare for one if I did not have a minimum of one hour a day in prayer. Two of the general secretaries of the United Nations spend or have spent a minimum of one hour each day in preparation for the day. Bring to the Lord problems and above all intercession. Our parish our schools, our community. This is where we get heavy encounter with the Lord. Otherwise, we're just knowing about Him. There's really no great love until we want to be with Him. Now, I do not mean to tell you it's always going to be easy. It isn't. I will tell you, however, when it's going to be hardest on holidays when you have nothing to do. <laughs> on busy days, it's very easy because you know, well, you may have to get up early to do it. If, for example, you're taking a train, as used to be the schedule, from Jerusalem to Cairo, you have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning because the train leaves at five past 4. Then you will not feel like making it Sunday. Many a time I've walked up and down the, the aisle of the church just to keep awake. I remember once traveling from Belgium to Lourdes and I had just enough time in Paris to make the holy hour. I went into the church of Saint Rock. I'm able to sleep in the daytime only about ten days a year. This was one of the days. I sat down at two o'clock and I went right to sleep and I slept perfectly until three. Woke up at three o'clock and I said to the good Lord, did I make an hour? And I seemed to hear a little angel saying, yes, you did, because that's the way the apostles made their first one. <laughs> Now, I beg you to undertake this holy hour. Maybe in some communities you might change the regime in order to allow more personal union with the Lord. Certainly not just reading of a common meditation. But that is entirely up to you. There are no rules of any kind. 
except expose yourself to the Lord. It's the only rule there is. And never give it up. It's hard to get back to. It can be done. I was giving a retreat once in San Francisco and I recommended the Holy Art of the Priest. A group of the priests were driving through the desert on a holiday. And it was very warm and they were wearing shirts, no collars. And they said, well, you haven't made a holy hour. So they drove off to some little town and found a church. And the pastor of the church saw these five thugs get out of the car. <laughs> and he came in, and for the first time, since the first year of his ordination, he began saying the breviary in church. And he emptied all of the poor boxes and made a holy hour until the ruffians left. In another city where I gave a retreat, there was an alcoholic priest who had been thrown out of one diocese, though he held a very high position in it. And he was put in the hospital several times a year for delirium treatment. And then he went into another diocese where he had to be hospitalized again for delirium treatment. And they sobered him up for retreat. And he decided to make the hour, and his resolution must have been very acute and sharp, because he never again took a drink. He became a very holy man. But I'm asking you to do it for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world, and you'll be happy on the inside. And listen, you'll be strong. Strong. I am not any more intelligent than any priest in this audience. But I have more power than most of them. And when I stand up to speak, I'm listened to. And I can hold an audience in the palm of my hand. And I know it. Where did I get this power? I do not have it naturally. When I was on the debating team in college, the Father Bergen, who taught us philosophy, said, you are absolutely the worst speaker I ever heard in my life. So I do not have it. Where do I get this power? I get it from the Blessed Sacrament. That's where I get it. See, Paul says, what have you that you have not received? And if you have received, why do you glory if you have not? That's the secret of my power. And if I gave it up, I would lose the power. And your power can be strengthened. When you get up into the pulpit, you begin to shoot sparks. Your sermons will be better simply because you've been thinking about the Lord during the week. Your teaching will be better and your 
consolation will be better in hospitals. The administration will be wiser. Simply because we're busy with the Lord. It can be done. Let me tell you that I have not missed a day in 52 years. So it can be done. And I pray every single day of my life that I will drop dead before the Blessed Sacrament on the Feast of Our Lady. That is my daily prayer. I may not, I do not know what the good Lord has in store for me, but of this I'm very sure. If the good Lord does not let me do it, he's going to be very embarrassed when he meets me. (laughs) 